Thank you very much. Yesterday we learned Pirkei Ovis, the third Perik, and the Tana and the Mishnah tells us the attitude that we should have when we give tzedakah. A lot of people have the attitude, this is my hard-earned money, and I have the right to do whatever I please with my money. I know a very wealthy man who decided to donate a fortune of money to uh, build a dog hospital in Saudi Arabia. Some of the yeshivas in the United States, some of the yeshivas in Eretz is a religious man. Shem Shabbos goes to Shul every, every day. Forget about every Shabbos. I'm Shugan, I'm going to follow Mishigans. He had to make a dog hospital in Saudi Arabia. So the Mishnah tells us our attitude ought to be, when you give tzedakah, you should consider it as if you're giving God his money. Any wealth that we happen to have, a lot of money, a little money, whatever you have should be considered as if we are an apotropis, as if we're just taking care of someone else's money, as if all the money belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You belong to God, your talent, your chokhmah to earn money was given to you by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You should treat the money as if it belongs to the Rabbanu Shalom, as Dovin HaMelech says in Tilim, All the money belongs to God, and we're just giving Him back the money. So you have to know how God wants you to spend your money. So the Talmud has a list of Kedimus. Shulchan Aruch has a whole simit about this. Which charities take precedence over which other charities? Uh, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein once made a comment at an Aguda convention, they always had have him speak every year. So on one occasion he was speaking on a Shabbos and he said that they ask him so many foolish Shabbos in America, they have a baby girl and they want to name the baby girl after a grandfather. So how do you convert the male name into a female name? Or they had a baby boy, they want to name the baby boy after a grandmother. So how do you convert the female name into a male name? And so on and so forth, all the silly American Shabbos that he gets. He said nobody ever asked him about how to apportion their tzedakah, how they should, what the kadima should be. And he only wrote shuvahs, he only uh, gave responses if people seriously asked him shaylah. So the next day, someone asked him a shaylah, could, uh, could he tell them what's the say to kadimas? So he wrote a little shuvah, not such a strong shuvah though. Not, not so elaborate though, because the person who asked him a shaylah didn't really uh, mean it so seriously. Uh, the Chumash tells us, aser ti aser, we should give any fruits or vegetables that grow in Eretz Yisrael. We're not permitted to eat. It has a special status of tevel. You have to take out trumas and mices before you begin to eat anything. So the Chumash has that expression mentioned twice, aser te aser. You should certainly give meiser. So the Tanoim have a comment on that pasik that the reason why the word is the verb appears twice is to allude to the fact that not only should we be mafresh, set aside, Trumas and Maisus, 2% for the Koy and Truman, 10% Maiserishan, to give to the Levi, 9% Maisersheni, and sometimes Maiserani. Not only is there a requirement to give Maisers and Trumas on, uh, on the fruits and the vegetables that grow in Eretz Yisrael, but there is a requirement to give Maisersofim. If a person earned a certain amount of money, if he can afford it, if he can't afford it, he, he doesn't give that much. The bare minimum that you have to give, if you, if you can't give any more, is a shlishes ha-shekel, a third of a shekel. The Shach lived in Vilna. Shach was a prominent Almachachma, lived in Vilna in the 1600s. And he writes that the custom in Vilna was that the Gabai would go around with the pushke in the morning, by davening only Mondays and Thursdays. You always wondered, what was that all about? It's a bigger mitzvah to give tzedak on Monday and Thursday than the rest of the week. So he came to the realization that is probably for the following reason. If everyone would give the smallest coin, let's say today is a penny, 
for everyone we give one penny on Monday, one penny on Thursday, uh, during the course of the whole year, and you have 52 weeks. So then everyone will be, all the pennies will add up to a shlishis ha-shekel. It'll add up to the bare minimum that you're obligated to give. If you give less than a shlishis ha-shekel, it's simply not yet to the mitzvah of tzedakah. But then if a person earns $100,000 a year, or $500,000 a year, is obligated to give much more than a shlishis ha-shekel. He has to give a lot more than that. So the Tanoim recommend that if a person can afford it, he should give Maisek Sofim, one-tenth of his... Uh, of his income. Exactly what that means, one-tenth of what he earns uh, after taxes, withholding taxes that you have to pay to the federal government and the state government and the municipal government, that's considered as if he never earned it. But the question is what about you have to pay rent and you have to buy food and clothing and basic necessities in life. So what do you mean you have to give one-tenth of your total earnings minus the withholding taxes before you spend the money on your necessities? Or do you have to give one-tenth after one-tenth of what's left, after you've already spent on the necessities in life? So that's a big dispute in the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch. Some of the commentaries complain that uh, most of the Jewish people are not fulfilling this practice of giving Maisek Sofim. And the, uh, the later commentaries say, what are you talking about? Everybody gives way more than Maisek Sofim. So the later commentaries explain, what were they arguing about? What is the fact? Everybody does give, everybody doesn't give. So the later, later commentaries explain that the earlier commentaries were complaining. They were of the opinion that you're supposed to give one-tenth of your total earnings before you spend on your necessities. So they're complaining that most of the Jews didn't fulfill that obligation. And the later commentaries say, what do you mean? All the Jews give way more than my six of them. They're assuming that you only have to give my six of him on what's left after you've, after you've spent on the basic necessities. They were of the opinion that all the Jews give that amount. Uh, now in America, the fact happens to be that most of the Jews do not give Maisek Sofim. Either way you slice it, however you consider the obligation. Unfortunately, um, we've learned from our neighbors, and the neighbors are not so keen about giving, uh, non-Jewish neighbors are not so keen about giving uh, tzedakah, charity. So the Jews have picked this up uh, in the Golas from the Nachrim, that we're not so medactic about the Maisek Sofim. There is a major dispute in the commentaries on Shulchan Aruch. What's the nature of this din? The rabbis seem to have derived it from a pasuk, aser ti aser, the verb appears uh, twice, and they understand that the reason why it's repeated is to imply that we have to give maisek sofim, we have to give tzedakah one-tenth of our annual earning. Is that really a biblical din? It's derived from the fact that the verb is repeated in the Chumash, or should we say this is what we call an asmachta? It's only a remez on the Pasik, and it's only a takonim in the Rabbanon, perhaps we should assume that it's even lower than that. Maybe it's not even a din with the Rabbanon, maybe it's only a midas chasidus on Shulchan That's basically the generally accepted opinion. We assume that uh, to give Maisek Safim is certainly not, there was such an opinion, a major opinion, that it's a biblical din, that's really not accepted. Uh, some have accepted the view that it's a din with the Rabbanon, obligatory, and the generally accepted opinion is that it's a recommended midas chasidus. We recommend it for anyone who can afford it, for whoever can afford it, we don't recommend. In fact, uh, some of the major poskim recommend that the first time in one's life when he gives Maisek Sofim, he should either have in mind the Seibeli Nedes that won't be binding for the rest of his life. If a person does a Minik uh once and he thinks that he'll continue to do this, or if he does it three times in a row, not thinking one way or the other, so then we assume that Midir this establishes 
a neder, menatora neder is only binding if a person pronounces it with his lips. He says, I accept upon myself a neder eshvua. And in the Rabbanon, rabbinically, if a person observes a minik toiv uh, three times or once, and he plans to continue observing this minik toiv, so then it's binding mitam neder med so if a person the first time says Bali Neder has a mind Bali Neder, so then it won't be binding, so in case it'll come to a difficult year, be too difficult to give my him, so he won't be faced with a problem. Is there a limit how much you can give? So the Talmud says yes, you're not permitted to give more than one fifth of your total earnings any given year, because the Pasik says that Yankiv Avinu promises Hakavish Bochu. Uh, when he's leaving Eretz Yisrael, running away from his brother Esau, so he promises the Rabban Shalom, whatever Parnas al Mei Kol Li Aser Asren Olach. I will certainly give Maisek Sofim to Tzdoke, and he says it twice, Aser Asrenu. So it sounds like he says he'll give one tenth and he'll give another tenth. That means maximum one fifth. The Talmud says one should not give more than one fifth of a total of his total savings of his total earnings any given year. <laughs> Because he may, if he gives away too much zedake, he himself will become, he may become poor. And then he'll have to ask for a handout, he'll have to ask for charity from others. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, there are uh, those who point out that this restriction only applies if a person makes uh, a decent parnasa. If a person makes way more than he really needs, so then we permit him to give more than one-fifth. He's permitted to give more than uh, 20%. I give way more than 20%. Some, there was one year that I gave more than half of what I earned. Baruch Hashem, I teach him you, And uh, the salary is very fine. So I gave away, uh, way, I always give way more than one-fifth. The Chafetz Chaim has a Sefer, Ahabas Chesed, where he speaks a lot about the laws of Tzedakah. Uh, so he writes that, this, he points out there seems to be a contradiction in two passages in the Rambam regarding this idea of 20%. In one place the Rambam writes that 20% is the maximum you're allowed to give, the recommended amount is 10%, and you shouldn't give best 20% unless you're making an awful lot of money. The other place the Rambam recommends l'chatrila, that's the recommendation, l'chatrila person should give 20% of what he earns. So which is it? Is 20% the recommended amount or is that we only recommend 10% and 20% is the upper limit. So the Chavetz Chaim writes, he thinks that the answer is very simple. Um, if there are requests, if you're being um, pestered by so many people from all over, there are so many Nitzrachim, there are so many organizations, so many institutions who need uh, money, uh, so then the one is obligated to give, we recommend that a person should give 20%. But if it's not really being bothered so much, so then we only recommend you should give 10%, and 20% uh, is the maximum. We live in a generation where uh, everybody's coming all the time uh, to the shul and to the homes, and we're getting letters in the mail. So uh, if a person can afford it, they really would, the recommendation would be that a person should give uh, the 20%. We should recommend that one should give 20%. The question is, where do you give this money? Everybody needs money. Where do you give the money? So the Shulchan Aruch has these rules and regulations of priorities. A Kedima. A Kedima is not like when we say Kiddush, the Mishnah has a dispute between the Beisham and Bissel, which bracha do you say first? We say first Bar Piyagof and then we say Kiddush. 
We follow Beisilo's opinion, Beishamai, Rab, the opinion, the Kedima is the opposite way. First you say the Kiddush, then you say Bar Piyagofen. So we're talking about Kedimas. Kedima doesn't mean whom should I give the charity to first and whom should I give second. That, that really, doesn't really make that much of a difference. Kedima means to whom should I give more money. So what does it mean? So for example, the, the, all of the Kedimas, the order of uh, significance is based on the Pesukim and Chumash. <coughs> Chumash speaks about giving charity to relatives, giving charity to people who live in Eretz Yisrael, as opposed to people who live in Chutzlarts, giving charity to people who live in your community. So how do you juggle around these three Kedimas? So the din is that first, relative, first come relatives. If there are relatives of mine who need tzedakah, they come first. And then the shechenim, the people who live in my neighborhood, come next. And then after the shechenim come aniya yircha, the people who live in my city. And then after I've taken care of all the aniya yircha, all the poor people in my city, then aniya Eretz Yisrael take next uh, kedima. And after aniya Eretz Yisrael come the aniyim and the rest of the world. There are those who, uh, many come from Eretz Yisrael, representing uh, yeshivas, representing kolelim, representing aniyim, uh, institutions who collect for the poor, and they'll tell you a story that aniyay Eretz Yisrael take precedence over aniyay yircha. The aniyim and Eretz Yisrael take precedence over the local aniyim. That is not the accepted opinion. It's a question whether even whether there ever was such an opinion. But in Shulchan Aruch, that is not the accepted opinion. And the Shach says not so, and the Chassam Seifer says it's not so. We paskin, Aniyah Yircha takes precedence to the Aniyim in Eretz Yisrael. Now what does it mean they take precedence? The Aniyim in my family take precedence to my neighbors. The Aniyim in my neighbors take precedence to the Aniyim in the rest of the city. The Aniyim in the rest of the city take precedence to the Aniyim in Eretz Yisrael. What do you mean? I give all the money to my relatives. My relatives need stock. I, need, I give all the money to my relatives. I have nothing left. And I don't give a penny to the neighbors. So the neighbors will die from starvation. Or I give to the Anim in my city. And I don't have to give to anybody else. So the Anim in the other cities are going to die unless there are some Ashiram in their city. So if you have a city that will consist of only Anim, they're going to die from starvation. It cannot be. It doesn't make any sense. That's what the Orach HaShulchan argues. What do you mean? The Aniyim who live in a city with a no Ashir will die from starvation. How can it be? So when we say that the Aniyim, the relatives take precedence, it means that you give them a certain amount of money and the leftover money, you should give them more money than, than the neighbors. And the neighbors get more money than the people who live in your city. How, what do you mean more money? So there are different opinions. Some say that uh, the Rachel Shulchan sounds like he says he doesn't give uh, precise amounts. He says that 51% of the money should be given to your relatives who are in need if they really need. Baruch Hashem, uh, I don't think I have any relatives who are in need. So uh, we dispense with that rule. Shechenim, neighbors, I don't think I have neighbors who need money either. There are Aniyim, I live in New York City. The Pashto says doesn't mean all the poor people who live in New York City. New York City has a few million people living there. So I have to take care of all of the Anim in New York City before I take care of the Anim in Eretz Yisrael. That doesn't make sense. So the simple Pshat in Aniyah means uh, the Anim whom I have a Shaykhis with. There, New York has millions of Jews, seven million Jews living there, so the, those people who, whom I see, they may not be my next door neighbors, but some of them, some of the Anim in the neighborhood I know, some of the Anim in the neighborhood I don't know. There are Anim in, in Brooklyn, there are Anim in Queens, whom I do know. 
So those whom I have a shaykhus with, I have a relationship with him, those are called aniyah yircha. There could be anim in other countries also. I have a shaykh, I'm close with them. So those are called aniyah yircha. Those I have no shaykhus with, those are called aniyah yircheres, or aniyah yeretz Yisrael. And you divide the money accordingly. Let's say uh, there are many mikvois and many mikvois need donations. So the mikvah that my wife uses all the time, so that's called aniyah yircha. The mikveh that my wife never used. In the summertime we go on vacation, so we use that mikveh. So that's also Aniyah Yircha. The other mikvahs in the United States is not my, that's Aniyah Yirach So if we have money left over, we should try to help them as well. Which shul should I support? The shul that I daven in. I daven Shachris all the time here, and Mincha I daven in the city. When I go to work, I daven in a different minion. And Shabbos, I dive in a different way, whatever. So all the shuls where I dive in, that's called Aniyah Yircha, I have a shaykhis with them. The shuls that I don't dive in and not, which yeshiva should I support? So the yeshivas which I attended, the yeshivas where my children, my grandchildren attend, wherever my grandchildren, half of them, more than half of them live in Eretz Yisrael. So the yeshivas that are servicing the members of my family uh, did service the yeshivas where my children studied or my children-in-law studied. So those are called Aniyah Yircha. Baruch Hashem, there's so many boys' schools and girls' schools all over the world. I'm not, I'm not obligated to support all the yeshivas in the world. There's a called Aniyah Yirachheres. So the precedents go to, you have to give the Kedima to those yeshivas where your children, your grandchildren, you, or you yourself attended, or your grandchildren attend right now. Those are called Aniyah Yirachheres. So again, Baruch HaShulchan writes, if necessary, you should give 51% if they really need it, you should give 51% of your tzedakah that you, that you have the ability to afford to the aniyah ircha, to your shul, to your mikveh, the mikveh that you use, to the yeshivas that your children, your grandchildren are using. And then less than 50% to the others. It's usually assumed that it doesn't depend on 51% as opposed to 49%. Usually assumed the way the Chochmah Sodom writes, Lithuania was accepted like the Bible. So the Chachmasodim writes it is two-thirds and one-third. That's what's usually assumed. That two-thirds of the money that you think you can give, two-thirds should go to Aniyah Yircha, and one-third should go to Aniyah Yiracheres. Um, in Eretz Yisrael, many of you must have visited Eretz Yisrael, that many people have the attitude there that uh, it's, it's the meaning to work for a living, it's a pchisus ha-kovit, and therefore we have a mitzvah to support them to give them tzedakah. The Allah says, I'm not obligated to give tzedakah to a person who wants to make himself poor. If the guy can go get a job, he's healthy, let him go get a job, so there's no mitzvah to give him tzedakah. My son-in-law, one of my sons-in-law who lives in Eretz Yisrael, learned to America Sarav, and the Rosh Hashiva there was Rabbi Ram Shapiro for many years. Rabbi Ram Shapiro was formerly the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, so he had a tremendous sense of humor. So one of the boys once asked him, are they obligated to give the shnaris who come around every day to ask for money? So he said, uh, it says in the Shulchan Aruch that if a person has a steady income, so he's considered an ashir. So he said, this fellow has a steady income. So you're not mechuyiv to give. That was a joke, but what he meant was, you're not mechuyiv to give him money. He decided he doesn't want to work for a living. So I'm mechuyiv to be in Mepharnasim. That's not called a nani. A nani is a person, it's a rachmanis. He tried to get a job, and he couldn't. Or he has a job, and he doesn't make ends meet. That's called a nani. But if a person makes himself a nani, you're not mechuyiv to give him. That's not a mitzvah of tzedakah. In Eretz Yisrael, you have uh, a lot of people decide. Each one wants to be a Rosh Hashiva. 
My son told me he was just uh, visiting by his in-laws over Shabbos. So there was a, an, elderly, an elderly rabbi came from Eretz Yisrael, and he, now he's an older person. He, used to come, he has a kailo where he has 10 people. A kailo with 10 people. He used to come to America twice a year to raise money for the kailo, came on his own. Now he's already so old, he has to come with two shamosim to come with him. So they have to pay for the car fare for three people to come twice a year to raise money for a kailo that only has 10 people. Why in the world do we need your kailo? Let your 10 people join someone else's kailo. Who says that you have to be a Rosh Yeshiva? Everybody breaks off and they make their own yeshiva. And I'm going to support everybody's yeshiva. It's, it's unwieldy to have a yeshiva with 5,000 students, but to have a 500 students is not so bad. Why is everybody breaking off and everybody has to have their own Rosh Yeshiva and their own fundraiser and everything? It's ridiculous. And I'm going to help everybody make his own yeshiva. There's no obligation. The problem is, just last week, we were told the terrible news that one of the uh, yeshivas in Baltimore is closing from kindergarten through high school, and one of the local high schools over here in New Jersey is closing, and there are another two schools in New Jersey in the neighborhood that may be closing for next year. They need over a million dollars to pay all the chavis that they have. The yeshivas in America are suffering. It's very nice that we, that we fund all the yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael and every Rabbi Tom and Rabbi Dick and Rabbi Harry makes his own koil makes his own yeshiva. We're supporting all the yeshivas, but it's at the expense of our yeshivas here in America. So that's not right. The yeshivas in America are closing. This is a disaster. We know that uh, there's a tremendous tuition crisis in all the yeshivas now. When I was growing up, we were very fortunate. The generation before me was not so fortunate. They had in the yeshivas in America, they had people who knew how to speak Hebrew. They had Israelis. And they were teaching Ivrit Ivrit. That was the attitude, they're teaching. Many of them were not Shemri Shabbos, but they knew how to speak Hebrew and they knew how to teach Hebrew. So if the Malamid, if the Machanach himself is not a Shemri Shabbos, he doesn't keep kosher. So what kind of an influence can he have on his students? So they taught Ivrit Ivrit, a Mazel Tov. So that was a disaster. So I was fortunate. When I was growing up, <coughs> my rabbin were refugees who came after the Second World War. Big Talmud Chachamim, they knew much more. They weren't some 10 lessons ahead of the students. These were people who knew a lot of Gemara. And they were teaching us Chumash, they were teaching us uh, Mishnayis, they were teaching us Haskalas Gemara. We had wonderful rabbin. So because they were refugees who came to America after the war, they had no parnas at all. So they were prepared to settle on a very low salary. Today, all the people in America are all educated. Anyone can get a job anywhere. And even if the person doesn't have a college degree, doesn't have a graduate degree, he can always take a course in computers and make much more than he will if he'll become a mechanach in yeshiva. So if you want to attract good rabbeim, if you want to get good people in chinuch, you have to pay a little bit more for the salaries of the mechanachim. It's true uh, we expect that the malamnim should have a little mesiris nefesh, but to expect too much mesiris nefesh is a little unreasonable. So that's why all the yeshivas pay today much better than they paid years ago. And it's very unfortunate. Uh, many people have the attitude, I paid tuition while my children were going to school, and now that my children are finished, I'm not mechuyev. Let the parents of the children who are going to school now, let them pay the tuition. This is not the proper attitude. The obligation to support the yeshivas, the local yeshivas, even the yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael, is a communal obligation. There are so many people who openly say that they have smaller families because they simply can't afford to pay all the tuition that expected, that's expected in the yeshivas. He used to say years ago that that's the strongest impetus for Orthodox Jews to practice birth control is the tuition in the yeshivas. 
the tuition is so high. Now it's even higher than it ever was before. Over $40,000 to send a, a student to Yeshiva University, and over $15,000 to send a, send a student to, to send a child to a high school, and over $8,000, $10,000 to send a child to elementary school. That's unbelievable. Many people plan to take their children out. They're threatening to take their children out of the yeshivas and put them in public schools. This will certainly be a disaster. Years ago, years ago, there were public schools. The Jewish people went to public schools, and we had Talmud Torahs in the afternoon. And it, was, it wasn't too uh, valuable. We didn't get too far with the Talmud Torah education that we had in the afternoon. Baruch Hashem, we have an infrastructure that's been working pretty well for many years. We have yeshivas, elementary schools, high schools, and uh, smicha programs, and limits on different communities. And if all, the whole system is going to collapse, the whole Judaism in America will be in uh, big trouble. Uh, as the system stands now, the parents are obligated to pay all the tuition for the education of their children, and tuition for your children cannot be taken off on income tax. We're going to have to change the system because it's ridiculous. The parents can't pay so much money. So in the years ahead, the coming years, the, certain, the, the parents will have to pay. We have a lot of parents who are borderline cases. They're not, if you'll give them an education, a Torah education for their children, that'll be reasonable that they won't have to pay so much money for it, they'll be happy to send the child to yeshiva. But to charge so much money for tuition, they'd rather send that child. We have a lot of people who are borderline observant, and they're not prepared to spend so much for tuition. And they, and they send their children to secular universities, send their children to secular high schools, secular universities. This is a disaster. In the years to come, we're going to have to change the whole system. We'll have to charge a very minimum, the minimal amount for tuition, and we'll have to rely on donations. And the grandparents who already were paying tuition for so many years for their children will have to start shelling out money to give donations to the schools. All the donations will be tax deductible. So everyone will gain by virtue of the fact that uh, it can be taken off as a tax deduction. And the yeshivas will have much more support. Uh, you have a lot of cases, they have a lot of instances where the grandparents have money because they're not sending their children to yeshivas any longer. So the grandparents take everybody to Florida for Pesach. Or they take everybody to Eretz Yisrael, to some hotel for Pesach. And they're prepared to spend $100,000, just the coffee alone to go to Florida, to go to Eretz Yisrael cost a fortune, and the hotel cost a fortune. And they won't want to give a penny towards the tuition in the yeshivas. A lot of the yeshivas have the attitude that not only if the parents went away for Pesach to a hotel, are they not going to give them a tuition break? If the grandparents spent the money and they paid for everyone to go for away, away to a hotel for Pesach, the school is also not going to give a tuition break. I think the yeshivas are right. If the grandparents have money, so much money to waste, to go to a hotel for, for a yontif, instead of going to the hotel, give the money to the yeshiva for, towards the tuition. It's a communal obligation to see to it that we have, uh, that we have yeshivas. We're going to have to see to it that more yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael consolidate. We're going to have to have people investigate all the different organizations in Eretz Yisrael to find out who is supporting people who are really on the in, who simply can't make a living. 
who, which organizations are supporting Aniyim who just decided they don't want to make a living. They think that we should support them. We're not obligated to support people who make themselves Aniyim. They declare they don't want to work for a living. It's not obligation. That's not called an, an Ani. An Ani is one who simply doesn't make money. In Eretz Yisrael, there are some organizations where they don't dole out money. They'll train the people, there are several organizations like that, they'll train the people who are earning money, who think that they're Anim, they'll train them how to shop with intelligence, and they'll train the people to figure out what they're entitled to in government assistance. And the people, after a couple of uh, lectures, after a little education, after half a year, they'll be able to give stock to others. The same people who work for a living, they can't make ends meet. They can't make ends meet because they don't know how to, how to, how to work according to the system. So once someone educates them and they know how to shop with Seichel and uh, they know what they're entitled to from the government and so on and so forth, so these people realize that they are making ends meet and they can even, originally they asked, a half a year ago they asked that we should give them a handout. Instead of us giving them a handout, we have educated them and they're able to help other people, they're able to give tzedakah to others. This is really the trend of the future we cannot allow the yeshivas to close, especially those in the neighborhood. I don't live in New Jersey, but I feel that the, the yeshivas in New Jersey are considered on the Yircha. There are yeshivas in New Jersey which cater to non-observant families, and when the children, the parents pay very low tuition rates, and these children turn over the whole families. They get all the families to be the observant people. The children go out in the yeshiva, they become, some of them become rabbanim. Some of them become mechanchim in yeshivas. Some of them are rebbe's in Eretz Yisrael in yeshivas. Those are the yeshivas that we need. I feel that's not called aniyah yiracheres. I live in New York. I don't live here in New Jersey. You don't live in that village where the yeshivas are either, but this is called aniyah yirchod. These are the people that we associate with. They share our hashkafas. The schools share the hashkafa that we have. And, uh, and the children who study in those yeshivas are going to marry our children. They're going to associate with our children. They're going to go to our yeshivas later on. They're going to be a feeder school for, for yeshiva university. Those are the Aniyah Yircha. It's not really right that uh, all of the organizations and all the yeshivas come from Eretz Yisrael and they demand of us that we have to support them. I remember one of the uh, Mishalochim came from Eretz Yisrael and he's trying to convince me I should give him a major donation. And he tells me that Rabbi Yashiv said, he says they carried it in the newspapers in Eretz Yisrael. Everybody quotes Rabbi Yashiv as if the, everybody has to hold their breath. No one's entitled to an opinion, only Rabbi Yashiv. So he says Rabbi Yashiv was quoted in the newspapers last week as having said that the stock organizations in Eretz Yisrael take precedence over the local stock organizations. So I said it's a lie because Rabbi Yashiv is not going to say against the Shulchan Aruch. And Shulchan Aruch says not so. Shulchan it says, I don't even know if there is an opinion. They say some, that someone had a dream that Rabbi Chaim Valozhin had said not so. I don't know if that's even quoted anywhere. In Shulchan the accepted opinion is, and it could be that there's never any machlekes, that Aniyah Yircha take precedence over Aniyah Eretz Yisrael. So this whole attitude that we have, that we're giving all the money to Eretz Yisrael, we have to, first we have to realize that we have to give more money. We all have to try to give, if one can afford it, he should certainly give one-tenth. My six of him, and certainly uh, this, these are years that we have to try to give two tenths, Chomish, if one can afford it. Most people can't afford it. He should try to talk to give uh, 20%. And the 20% should be apportioned with Seichel, which should give like the, traditionally. Two thirds of what we're able to give should be given to the local Laniyim, to the local institutions, to the local yeshivas, to the local shuls. We have to see to it that the shuls shouldn't close.
And in the schus of giving tzedakah properly, based on the attitude of Tein Lo we should have the attitude that we are only up to trump some on the money, we're not the Balabatim, we don't have the right to do whatever we please. And the proper, using the proper attitude in the schus of giving tzedakah, we should be zechah to the Geula, the Karab, as the Pasuk says, Tziyam and Mishpati Padabishavecha B'Tzedakah. In the schus of giving tzedakah, Kodesh Baruch Hu should uh, give us the Biyas HaMashiach and Meher B'Amein. Thank you. Okay. I believe that our distinguished guests have agreed to take uh, questions from the audience. So if anyone has a question, either or, for Avwilig, in talking about the interpersonal relationships, or more important, the key word, interpersonal responsibilities. All right? And second of all, if you have any question of uh, Rav Shefta Shlita, so uh, now would be the time. Uh, you can certainly catch them on the way out after my riff. But Tom, please. I apologize, I ran through the details very quickly. I said withholding tax, state, uh, federal tax, state tax, municipal tax is considered as if I never earned it. I don't have to pay, I don't have to give my self and my withholding tax. But uh, there is a debate in the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch whether the 10% or the recommended 20% in our circumstance is after I've spent the money that I need to on my basic necessities, I paid for the rent and the food and the clothing and so on, what do you say? No, you should try to give the 10% and the 20% and the full amount of your own, that you have earned just minus the withholding tax. I think the generally accepted opinion is uh, the second way, on the full amount that you earn, just deducting the uh, withholding taxes. I think that's a generally accepted opinion. If a person can't afford it, can't afford it. But many of us can't afford it. We make so much money, we can afford to give more than 20% also. You try to calculate it, the 10% to 20% based on the full amount that you've earned. And then if it turns out you pay so much in tuition, so you just can't give uh, 10%, that's all. You can't, you can't, you can't. If you can't afford to give them Isaac's of them, so you don't. Many people cannot. Many people cannot. And a person who gets a tuition break from the yeshiva, I always got a tuition break and I never felt embarrassed. I was teaching in yeshiva. I didn't make so much money for many years. I never felt bad about it. But then when you have a little money to give, so don't give the money to some other yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael or some other yeshiva in America. Yeah. If you have money, so give it to this stool who gave you the tuition break. That's your, that's your yeshiva. Don't take the whole break. I give it as a donation, one way or the other. In the event that, 
that you get a big Yerusha, if your rich uncle dies, so don't forget the first place to give the Yerusha. All of my children graduated already Broyers, and we still give to Broyers every year a few thousand dollars. That's my yeshiva. All of my, I have nine children. All of my nine children went to Broyers.